at Spring of Hope downtown, and we, uh, with uh, some of my kids, and, and we ended up going kind of through some of the back roads of the back neighborhoods in downtown Waco, which are pretty rough if you've, if you've been down there. And, uh, you know, as we're driving through, and there's, you know, it's pretty dark. There's hardly any street lights, but you can see the trash out in the yards. You can see the shutters falling off the windows of the houses, and, you know, it's a pretty run-down area, and you just wonder what's going on inside of some of those uh, hovels down there. And uh, and I said something to my kids, like, can you believe people live here? And and uh, one of my sons said, you know, how do they how do they do that? You know, because you know, and I said, you know, to them, you have to realize to them it's normal. Most of the people that live here have always lived here. They were probably born here or in a similar place, and this is what they know, you know. And we just started talking about uh, our terrible propensity as humans to get used to certain things in our lives. You know, they become normal. When viewed from somebody else's perspective that's outside of our circumstance, it, it can appear terrible or horrific. But to us, this is where we live. And so the, the familiarity of it brings a, a certain sense of uh, normalcy, even though it may in fact not be normal at all in terms of how the Lord might desire for his people to live. You know, and of course, I took the opportunity to tell one of my sons that his mother has made comments about his room that sounded similar to his comment about the neighborhood. <laughs> how do you, how can you sleep in here when it looks like this? And, and it's true, it's all of us, uh, whether, it's our, whether it's our physical dwelling places, whether it's our spiritual dwelling places, whether it's the corners of our, our, our rooms or the corners of our hearts, we get used to the debris and the clutter and the junk and the filth and the trash, you know, until it becomes normal and we don't even feel what it is, you know. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how we have this tendency, <laughs> all of us, to, we think within, just as Brother Kevin was, was, was speaking earlier, I thought of this, when he was talking about uh, how, you know, Jesus came in a form they didn't recognize, you know, we have certain limited spheres in which we expect things to move or things to change, all the while unconscious that there's an entirely bigger, broader picture of things that God might want to do that we, we don't even expect that anything would happen on that level. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I was thinking about this guy one time. Years ago, I used to work for Brother Tony in uh, putting in mobile homes. And there's one place we're putting in this new mobile home, and I don't know if it was the owner or if it was uh, a neighbor that came over or whatever. There's this fellow that came over, and he was in his probably in his mid-twenties, a pretty sloppy-looking fellow, uh, severely overweight and everything, and, and just running at the mouth while we were trying to set up this house. And he was going on and on about his circumstances. And I guess he worked at a factory somewhere or something, and he was telling us, yeah, I make $13 an hour and everything. He said, and I'm having this problem and that problem and the other problem, but pretty soon, I mean, within a matter of weeks or maybe months here, uh, they're going to promote me, and I'm going to be manager of this place, and I'm going to make $17 an hour, and then, you know, and he was, he already had all that money spent, you know, it, it was going to fix, it was going to fix his life, you know, and you got the feeling that this guy, he probably said something similar when he made $11 an hour about what it was going to be like when he made $14 an hour that he makes now, you know what I mean, and you got this feeling that to him, he never even gave much thought 
to the larger things that were circumscribing his world and creating it as the place that it was, he just could only see what was right in front of his, his nose, that this will be it. This time it's going to be it. And it's like, it's like the devil does that with us. He puts a carrot out on the stick, you know, and it, one step at a time. And once we get to the next carrot, we realize, well, that wasn't, that really wasn't it, was it? It must be the next thing. Always thinking inside of the boxes that we've created for the possibilities that God might have for our lives, you know. And an even scarier thought that came to me before the meeting when I was praying was, you know, I remembered the, the story Brother Blair shared with us here uh, one time a few years ago, you may remember, about this lady named Hedda Cavalli. And she was uh, uh, Polish, I believe, and she went through the, the ordeal of World War II and the subsequent communist takeover. Maybe she was Czech, I can't remember. But anyway, she was, she was in on all of those horrific things. And, and uh, you know, she was at one time part of a, uh, they were marching the prisoners. She was, went to all these different prison camps and so forth. They were moving the prisoners from one prison camp where they had been. And I think they were headed to Auschwitz. I don't remember for sure. But they were, it was in the middle of the winter. They're going through the snow. And, you know, uh, it's like at every turn, she said, you know, even though things inevitably got worse, Always there was that uh, foolish human optimism that maybe this camp will be nicer than the one we went to before, you know? People are always just convinced that somehow it's going to work out and things are going to get better. So there was that kind of optimism, even though people are dying along the way and, you know, you'd start to, people would be totally exhausted, but you'd hear the shots behind you and you knew they were shooting people that dropped from exhaustion, so you kept going. And how... They were going through remote stretches uh, where there was forest and stuff, and people would sometimes try to escape. And they would leave the, the long train of prisoners. I don't know how many of them there were, but there were hundreds at least. They would leave the long train of prisoners and escape out into the woods. And it was not really well guarded. A lot of, time, a lot of times they succeeded in escaping. But she said almost every time the people that escaped, a couple of days later, would show back up in the line even though they had escaped successfully. And the thing that they always said was, I just, I just couldn't take it. I could not take the terrifying responsibility of being out there and not knowing where I should go or what I should do or whose door I should knock on to try to get help, you know, because it was, it was a dangerous place to be. And their freedom terrified them. Amen. And it's like there's such, there can be such a security in the things familiar that even while we tell ourselves that we hate this and we wish that could change and, and we know that this is wrong and so on and so forth, nonetheless, we're even more terrified of what would happen if we made a break from the whole thing. Amen. And so, in, once again, inside our little box, we say, I don't know. I mean, all things considered, I just don't know that I can really get out of where I am right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I, thought of, I thought of where it says in, in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I just feel today, you know, we can do the same thing even in a context like this, can't we? We can come to a meeting and we can say, we can say, well, uh, you know, with, we have a certain narrow limit, a narrow range within which we feel like, you know, uh, this could happen today, whether it's in the meeting at large or whether it's in my life. This is probably, you know, it could be this or that. We don't really know, but within a certain 
realm, this is what we expect. Amen? And yet God may have a frame that's much bigger for, for us or for us. Amen? And we, yet we box him in. I thought about it says in the, in the Psalms uh, when it's describing the children of Israel after they've been led out of Egypt. And it's describing in Psalm 78 and it says, you know, again and again they turned astray and they grieved the Lord in the desert. And it says again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Just by our attitudes, by our lack of faith that could arise in our hearts, we can limit what God would do. You know, and I thought about how Jesus would, he would come to people and he would say, he would say, you know, he'd come to a man who was obviously blind, been crying out to him for help, and say, what do you want me to do for you? Amen. It should have been obvious to everybody what this guy might have wanted from Jesus, and yet he would require that person to step out and say, this is what I need. This is what I really need. Amen. It's never happened to me before, but it is what I really need. Amen. And I remember hearing a story from years ago, apparently, and some of you brothers can correct me that were there, but there was a fellow who, who we came in contact with in this church years ago who came who was blind. And there was a sense at one point that there was a movement of God that God would want to heal this man. And he retreated from the move of God that was happening and said he didn't really want to be healed. Thank you. Now, that sounds like a crazy thing to say. And yet, the familiarity of it was more secure to him than the unknown of what was his responsibility going to be when his eyes were open. Amen? Was he, he was going to have to... His excuses were going to be gone. His reasons to feel sorry for himself were going to be gone. Amen? There on the other side, in his freedom, laid a terrifying responsibility that he was maybe unwilling to face. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. And I thought, Lord, that's how we limit you. That's how we limit you. We're simply afraid of what it's going to be like. But we've got to realize that the same God that would, would take that first step to set us free, if we'll stick with him, he's going to hold our hand for all the rest of the steps. If we'll just surrender to what he wants us to do and commit that we're willing to lose what it takes in order to gain what we've got to have. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is the context of uh, where this that scripture in Isaiah, he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Don't assume that you've got to have this and that in order in order for you to get what God has for you today. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And then he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, his frame, and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, 
that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Amen. Amen. And I, as I prayed today, I said, Lord, that's what we want today. We want your word. Your word that shakes the wilderness places, that shakes the, the wilderness of Kadesh, the place of wavering. Amen. Like it says in the Psalms. Amen. That causes, that splinters the, the cedars of Lebanon and causes the deer to get birth. Amen. That's what we want to hear today. And we want to let that word move in such a way that it blows out our frames. Amen. Our little ideas of what our role is in this meeting or what might happen to, to us or through us in this meeting. God wants to blow those frames out of the way and let it be His ways, His thoughts, and His word. Thank you, Jesus. of becoming a better manager of the mess that we have. We want to be promoted to be a better manager of all this, this, this little stuff that we have. And God is saying, <laughs> becoming a better manager is not going to fix your life. Amen. You need to let me be the manager. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Dan, I'm trembling inside. Be, and you may not be, but I am because I haven't opened my Bible since Brother Dan started talking, and I haven't talked with Brother Dan since Friday night, and we certainly did not discuss what was going to happen in this meeting. And this is the first thing I have written down. We'd rather the familiar bondage than the freedom outside our comfort zone. And then this is the sum total of my notes for the meeting, and they are restaurants, Blessed are the bankrupt, Zechariah, the garrison people, and Lot and Sodom. Amen. I came to this meeting with the identical burden that you just shared. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I forgot about that head of Cavalli, but that is the exact thing that I was feeling before this meeting. And I thought of the story of when Jesus went. I looked it up in Luke. I've read it several times this year. When Jesus went in the boat over to the country of the Gerasenes, and there was a man there who it says was terrorizing his people. He was demon-possessed. And he, he gnashed at himself. He, they bound him in chains and tied him up, but he broke the chains, and he would howl around in the tombs, and terrify the people. Amen. And when Jesus came, this man came in all of his demon-possessed fury to Jesus. And Jesus commanded the demons to go out of him. And they went into the swine. I believe this is where it was. And Jesus began to minister to him. And this man was so, so overwhelmed by the deliverance that God had brought in his life that he begs Jesus, can you please take me in the boat back with you? He wants to go back with the Lord. But it says that all of the, all of the country 
when they had heard about it, they also gathered around to see what had been done. And when they saw this incredible miracle that God had performed for this man, they didn't say, oh God, this is the answer. This is everything we've been praying for. This is the peace that we haven't had. This is the power that we've lacked. They said, instead, it says that they were terrified and they begged Jesus to leave them. Amen. Please, God, get out of my life. Amen. Next thing I had was restaurants. I've had opportunity recently. I've studied a lot on the restaurant business. I've always been intrigued since I was a kid. If I ever do something with it, I'll let you know. But I, I've, I've had opportunity to review this catalog of scores of restaurants that failed and that turned around their failure. And it's, it's, in, quite de- it's, in, in, it's in great detail that these records are kept. And the story always, it's pretty much the same. There's some fundamental flaw in the thinking of the owners or the managers. And so they, 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 uh, they drive the business into the ground. But the flaw is typically rooted in some sort of pride. A pride that cannot look at reality and change their course accordingly, if that makes sense. And so this team comes in, headed by this man, and they, they review the restaurant, and they tell him what must be done to change it. And the first thing they do when they show up to this failing business is they ask them how much debt they're in, and it's never less than hundreds of thousands of dollars, and usually well over a million, sometimes two and three million dollars. They ask them how much debt they're in and how much longer they can keep the doors open. And they're never able to keep the doors open more than six weeks or else they don't, they're not even submitted to the program. And it's typically a month or less. And so it records how these owners will stand there in their office next to their balance sheets and say... We're a million dollars in debt. And with tears, say, please help us. How much longer can you keep it open? Not more than four weeks. So that's the foundation. That's the starting point of the whole program. But then, inevitably, every single time, when those who have walked this way before, when those who have run this sort of business and turned around these sort of businesses hundreds of times, when they come and say, you need to implement this change, this change, and this change, every single time, all they get is, that's impossible. You're going to destroy our restaurant. You're going to ruin our business. I mean, it's intense vehement rejection and offense. Amen. And I, I started asking myself, God, why? 
Is this so predictable? Why is this what happens? Why does this happen every single time? What is going on? Amen. The reality was there. If they do nothing by default, they're going under. They're bankrupt already. Many of them have already lost their houses. Many of them have already lost their retirement. Many of them, their relationships are on the brink of collapse, divorce. They're at the edge. They're, they're, they're over the brink. And yet they still have this defensiveness against correction that says, it can't be that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Their hopes are dead. That's why they called in somebody else. But when they get the answers that they themselves asked for, they can't receive it. Amen. Why is that? Why is it? Have you ever felt that way? Help! 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 I'm dying! Somebody comes along, puts out their hand. Who said I needed you? Get out of my life. Amen. It's human nature. Amen. Our hopes may be dead, but our pride isn't dead. Amen. Our abilities may have failed, but our pride isn't dead. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Makes me think of the story of that, that man. My kids love it. The voice. Amen. I don't need your help. Thank you, Jesus. And I thought of all the times in the Bible, and that's what this list is about, when people came to the end of themselves, when they were hanging over the brink, when they were dangling over a chasm of hopelessness, and God reached out his hand, and they slapped the hand away. Lot has just spent the most astonishing, appalling night any of us can imagine. He's had two men come into his house as visitors. And the sodomites in his town are so enraged by their lust. They want to abuse these men. They want to rape these men. And so they come and they beat on the doors of Lot's house. Send out those men. And Lot is desperate. He's pulling his hair out. And in his insane desperation, he offers to send out his daughters to pacify them. But they don't want that. And they're knocking his door down. And just before his door caves in, these men turn out to be angels. And they reach out and then they strike everyone blind. And the next morning, when the clouds of fire and brimstone have already gathered, and the city has less than hours to survive, 
These two men take Lot by the hand and try to pull him out of Sodom. And it says that Lot hesitated. He resisted. He questioned why. What? Amen. What could possess him? Amen. What's going on in his thinking? I'll tell you exactly what was going on in his thinking. He had invested years, decades, into his course, his plan, the ways that were not God's ways. Amen. He had told Abraham, you go your way, but I've chosen my way. I don't need to follow. I don't need guidance. I've learned what I need to learn, and I'm going my way. And Lot hesitated because he hesitated. He didn't want to see that entire edifice of his success story topple and burn with Sodom. He didn't want to turn his back on his own pride. On all the things that he had striven to accomplish. That's what kept him in Sodom so long. He kept believing that he could turn it around. He kept believing that there was enough, that he had the force, the righteous force sufficient to turn the situation around. But he didn't. Amen. And to admit that your entire life was a waste. That if you had submitted yourself, if you had truly come under submission to the voice of God, to the voice of God coming through relationships such as Abraham, to admit that was just too great. He was willing to risk his life. He was willing to risk the life of his family. He was willing to offer all on the altar of his own ego. Amen. But eventually, he did yield. And he went in a way that he would not go. And they let him out of Sodom. Amen. But Sodom was still in his family. His wife died. She couldn't make it all the way out. Maybe she was a driving force in his life. You don't need your Uncle Abraham. You don't need his guidance. Maybe she buttressed his pride. Maybe she was even more invested in this dream than he was. The angel said, do not look back. Don't turn back and be mindful of the country from which you had returned, from which you had left, or else you're going to return to it and it's going to eat you alive. Amen. And she did. She turned aside. Oh, look what we're losing. Oh, look what's, look what we're losing if we go this way. And she turns into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Amen. There are wives in this place tonight that do the same thing to their husbands today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How desperate do we have to get to hear God and say, Lord, forget about what I have to lose. I'm coming. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Zechariah. He's a man of God, quote-unquote. And he must have been for God to have chosen him 
of all the people to herald the first step in Messiah's coming, the return of Elijah the prophet. Amen? This man is likely approaching the, the age of 80. He has been serving God. It says that they were righteous in all their ways. He has been serving God, living for God his entire life. And he and his wife are devout and righteous in all their ways. And he knows that it has been 400 years since the Lord has spoken in the power of his presence and not just in the letters, amen, quoted by men without the Spirit. He's gone to church his whole life and he's heard the priest get up and say, good morning, it's Sunday. Let us turn to chapter 12 of Matthew and let us read from here. By this we may deduce that such and such is happening, and by that we might conclude he's heard it all. He's heard all that his whole life, but he's never heard the voice of God. So when he goes in there to make the offering, there's got to be something still longing in his heart. God, are you there? God, is there anything more? And he goes in and the promise of all the ages is handed to him in an envelope. I mean, who has ever heard of such a thing? Suddenly, the presence of God is there. The angel of the Lord is speaking. And Zechariah is listening in rapt attention. What is God saying? And he tells him a promise that lies completely outside of his boxes of expectation. Amen? This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be fulfilled. Your son is going to open the way for Messiah. Amen. And all that experience, all that religiosity, all those years of dulled and muted and suffocated expectations, they just Reach out to swallow that promise and abort it. Amen. How can this be? Seeing that I am an old man and my wife, she also is beyond the age. God, this is impossible. Amen. And the anger of the Lord burned inside of that angel. And he said, this is the sign that God is working, man will be mute. Man will not be able to comment on the promise and the power of God. Amen. That's the sign that God is about to do something in your life when you find yourself speechless, saying, God, in your heart, God, if this is you, let it be. Amen. My point is to say, Look at everything that should have prepared him. And yet he also, when he came to the brink, preferred his familiar bondage over the freedom outside his comfort zone. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You see, we're not playing church. 
That's not what we're here to do. I feel the Holy Spirit so strong in this place this morning. My hands burn. My heart burns, Brother Kevin. God is here. This is not a game. This is for real. Amen. And if you're encountering God in a way that surprises you, that presents you with an incredible opportunity and even more an incredible responsibility. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're the one who's been saying, God, would you please show us? Is there anything more? God, would you please show us? Is this your way? Is this how we're supposed to take our family? Amen. If you're the one who's been praying that, then what's your response when God begins to speak to you? Amen. Your hopes may be dead, but is your pride dead? Amen. Your abilities may be dead, but is your pride dead? Your past may be dead, but is your pride dead? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus left that country. He got in the boat and he left. He told that man who had been delivered to stay and to try to tell his people what God had done. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have a problem that God doesn't speak to us. Amen. That's not our problem. We don't have a problem that God doesn't move by the power of his spirit. That's not our problem. Our problem is that when all of that happens, we can't overcome the inertia. We can't overcome the weight that all of our pride harnesses us with. We can't break out and say, God, this is, this is you. I'm making a change in my life. We can't be like Abraham and say, everything I've done, all my prestige that I've gained, it's all for nothing. And I'm walking away from this life. I'm walking away from this context. And I'm going to become a stranger pursuing God toward a place I don't know. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The more you have, the harder it is to, to find that freedom. Amen. But even when you have nothing, even when you're bankrupt, it can be almost impossible. Amen. Maybe that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. And that is literally not just poor as in, it means impoverished to the point of bankruptcy. Blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. Until you become bankrupt in spirit, the kingdom of God is not yours. Jesus. Blessed are the bankrupt in spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus.
Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. You see, every time you pray those prayers, God, would you help me? God, would you help me overcome this? God, would you please help me? I can't go on like this. God, help me. God, can you hear me? God, help me. You pray those prayers, and you come into a meeting, and suddenly the Lord shows up, and he begins to speak to you, and you sit there, impassive, unmovable, amen. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but... I don't think I have the courage to do anything. Amen. Every time you do that, God's going to speak to you less and less and less till finally it just becomes silence. Because every time he speaks and you don't respond, your heart is hardening. You're becoming accustomed to it. And familiarity breeds contempt. Amen. Brother Carl told me last night, he said, the very first meeting I ever came to, I was sitting there in the meeting... Amen. And my wife was sitting next to me. I don't think she was your wife yet, though. She was your girlfriend. And she was 17 years old, and you were 18. Very first meeting he ever came to, and he's sitting there, and she leans over and says to him, Honey, I'm going down to the front to pray. She doesn't know if that'll make him leave her and never see her again. But she gets up and goes down to pray. Very soon after, he goes down to pray. He gets the Holy Spirit that night. His wife doesn't, but she gets it soon after. Amen. Those are the kind of people who don't just make it out of Sodom, but make it out of Ur and into the journey and the destiny of God. Those are the kind of people, amen, who throw down their nets and run after God and become part of the miracle and the purpose that he is accomplishing on the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Those are the kind of people who don't just... Walk away from the, the line on its march to the concentration camp and then merge back in, but actually make a break. Amen. And find the God who will lead them all the way. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The kingdom of God does not come by careful observation. It doesn't come by thinking it over. Amen. From the heart we believe and are saved. And the question is, is God burning on your heart? Is God telling you, you can overcome it right now? You can make the change right now? Amen. Is the angel pulling at your wrists? Amen. If he is, then do something about it. Amen. Well, in Jesus' day, I had the exact same example of Jesus walking up to a blind man and saying, what do you want me to do for you? Why would he ask something like that? Amen. Because God is not going to nudge you by your obvious condition. Lord, you can tell I need something, so if you're here, do it. No. You are going to become a participant in this miracle. If you need something, God wants you to claim it. God, I need to see today like I've never seen before. Amen. There were no doubt many people in Jesus' day who were not healed. 
They were the lepers, all swollen and blistered in their white and crusty leprosy, sitting there, unable to say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Amen. But those who said it were healed. Amen. There were many blind people in his day. Not the least of which were the Pharisees. Amen. But they couldn't, they couldn't cross that line. They couldn't cross that threshold. Amen. But then there were those who, who could. There was the woman who got down on her hands and knees and pressed her way through the crowd. Amen. Because she was bankrupt. It says she had spent everything she had. Amen. Amen. And she laid hold of something that day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There were the men who lowered, who ripped apart the roof and lowered him down, lowered their friend down in front of him. There were people who got his attention. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, does God have your attention? Amen. That's not enough. You need to get God's attention. Say, Lord, I'm the one, and I need help today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, God. Praise you, Jesus. You know, some of you young people, I was talking to a young person yesterday. And he was telling me of some of you who are older, maybe in your mid-twenties. Amen. And you, you're committed to God, and, or so you claim to be. And you want to be a part of the church. Amen. You want to live your life here. You want to move forward in this direction. But there's a certain spirit that hovers over you of carnality and self-indulgence, even filth. Amen. And you're saying, I wonder if he knows who I am. That's not what matters. The question is, do you know who you are? Amen. And you come to meeting after meeting. And there's something in you that really wants to change. And it's this, I think that you even think that that's enough. This, this want. Amen. And you pray and you say, God help me. Amen. And that may be good, but it's, it's ultimately insufficient. Because when it comes down to it, you're not willing to take the steps that would dismantle your ego, but that would actually bring you help. You're just like those phony restaurateurs who are bankrupt, but they lash out in defensive rebellion every time the correction actually comes. Because they don't want to admit that they were wasting their life. Amen. Amen. So you're willing to pray, but you're not willing to make a change. 
You're willing to ask God if he'll do everything for you. But you're not actually willing to enter into the travail yourself until Christ does the work. Do you see the difference? Amen. And you say, oh, I want to change. Amen. I want to change it. I know it shouldn't be this way. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm powerless. It just takes me by a storm. Amen. No, it doesn't. Right now, in this meeting, you are not powerless. Those sins have absolutely no hold on you right this minute. You don't feel a licking bit of it right this minute. You are set free right now. Your chains are loosed. Everything is gone. You don't feel the lust. You don't feel the rebellion. You don't feel the dishonesty. And if you would act and commit yourself to a course while you have the power, that course would carry you through in times when you felt less power than you do right now. But because you say in your stupidity, well, I feel the power of God. I think I can do it. And you just stay in the exact same course that you're in right now. Then you just keep going around the same mountain over and over and over. But God wants you to humble yourself. What does humbling yourself mean? Amen. It means dismantling all your success story. It means saying, I'm bankrupt. I need help. And I'm willing to receive correction. I need help so bad that I will receive correction. I will receive input. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. When you get to that place, the miracle has already happened. Amen. The miracle is already yours. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God, God, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just pray right now? Call on God. Ask God to help us. Lord, give us courage to change. Amen. Give us faith that's stronger than our unbelief, than our doubts. Amen, God. Give us courage that's stronger than our caution and our second-guessing. Lord, help us to acknowledge the condition that we're in, that we are bankrupt, that we are hopeless unless we make a change, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, God, hallelujah. Take me out of my comfort zone, God. I'm not comfortable praying, but help me to pray like I've never prayed. I'm not comfortable sharing my heart with somebody else, but help me to be vulnerable, God. Jesus, Jesus, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Some of you, some of you were doubting. Some of you were losing faith. Maybe you're even doubting God. But there's no room for doubting right now. Now you're not doubting God. You're just afraid of Him. He's so real. 
we become afraid of him. Before we were doubting he was there. Amen. The Bible says every word shall be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, look at the witnesses that are coming to you today. The Lord gave me the exact word that he gave Brother Dan. Amen. We both brought our witness to you. Not only that, but you know it's absolutely consistent with the word of God, the Bible. That's another witness. But more importantly, most importantly, there is the witness of the Holy Spirit. There is a witness that God is convicting and moving in this meeting today. Your heart is burning within you. And if you can't hear that witness, then you cannot hear us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But if God is confirming his word to you, there's a promise entailed in that word. That's what this is all about, after all. It's freedom. It's liberty. Amen. It's setting the captive free from these chains. Amen. So if you feel that, and you feel the courage to act on that, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Find out how to do it and do it now. Amen.